This is episode 220 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are Burn Injuries on and Off the Grid and Seven Super Cheap Foods to Stockpile that People Usually Throw Away. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, you can make sure that you get the Prepper Website Podcast delivered to your preferred device without fail. We make it very easy for you to subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or any other favorite podcast network. Hey, you know, I talk a lot about being aware of what's going on in the world out there. And I just want to kind of briefly bring this up because I haven't seen a lot uh, on the on the mainstream media. Well, I don't really watch a lot of the mainstream media, but I haven't just seen a lot of this talk uh, lately. I've only seen it on Twitter, and uh, just recently I've seen uh, World News Daily have has a, an article on it. But the protest in Iran, and w- when I first saw that, I was like, oh, that's no big deal. That's going to be uh, knocked down really quickly. Um, that regime over there is not going to tolerate that. And uh, really, they have. I mean, they fired on their own people. So they've already killed 20 people since the uh, the prote- protests have started. But in this article that on World uh, Net Daily, uh, I think I said World News Daily, and I'm having problems with this uh, actual web page. It's loading very slow for me. But it uh, it says that this protest is a lot bigger then 2009, when uh, that one was shut down, you know, no one really supported that one. It was just it kind of sprung up, and that was shut down. And uh, normally, you know, the United States or the president uh, here will at least voice some support for it. But uh, President Obama didn't do that at the time, and uh, he was criticized for that. But President Trump has done that uh, for uh, or has uh, supported. Uh, what's going on, the protests that are going on over there. And so uh, I just wanted to kind of point out that this is, um, according to this article, and I'll link to it in the show notes, that um, this is more widespread than the 2009 protests. And this is like uh, nationwide. It's in 80 cities. And, uh, you know, like uh, like the article says, I mean, um, they're a little concerned about that. Of course, the government's concerned about this one because it is so widespread. They've even shut down schools and different things like that. But uh, this protest seems to be going. And so it's one of those things to keep in, keep in mind over there because Iran is very much involved in all the stuff that's going on in the Middle East and definitely involved in uh, terror and uh, exporting that all over the world and making sure that, uh, you know, they, they fight their proxy wars, uh, you know, uh, that way. And, uh, of course, I mean, it's not to say that we don't do it as well, but, uh, you know, normally, uh, and I don't want to say that we, you know, we, we don't do, our government is not involved in anything negative over there, but uh, I would like to hope to think that we're doing it to uh, combat them. Sometimes other people would have, I'm sure, other views on that. But uh, anyway, I think it's something to keep in mind and uh, to just stay aware of. If uh, if you're not on Twitter, uh, you know, definitely um, go read this article World at, over at WorldNet Daily to get a little bit more information on it. All right, so our first article of the podcast comes to us from uh, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy over at DoomAndBloom.net. 
And this is uh, this is one. I, I always think that medical. You know, when I first started prepping, medical for me was one of the big ones that. I knew that I could gain knowledge in food storage and I can gain knowledge in skills. I could read read books. I could practice those kinds of things. But for me, I guess the medical aspect of it, because there is a little bit more that goes into it. You know, you, it's hard to practice. For instance, this article was burn injuries on and off the grid. It's hard to practice on burn injuries if, you know, you don't have a burn injury. And you really don't want to practice on someone who has a burn inju- injury. You want them to... Uh, feel better. You want to help them out as soon as possible. And so for me, you know, the medical aspect of it was one of the most important for me to research a little bit more. And so that's, I guess I'm a little bit more partial to Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and then any other medical uh, type article that's out there, because I think that's information that we want to have. And so, you know, I always talk about their book. I think that's a book that every a uh, self-reliant prepper, preparedness-minded person, whatever you want to call yourself, that that's a book that you should have because it talks a lot about uh, ways that you can handle things um, when you're off the grid. And, you know, that's the, that's the way the book was written for. a lot of, There's a lot of books that will tell you, you know, stabilize someone and then get them to uh, professional help. The idea of their book was if there's no help around, if there's, you know, if help is not ever going to come, right? And so I think it's one of those uh, books that everyone should have. It's the number one book as far as I'm concerned. And then there's always the essential oil chapters, the, uh, the, you know, the fish antibiotic chapters that I think are very, very popular. But when uh, they have a great article over at doomandbloom.net, I definitely want to post it over on Prepper website. And um, I think you know they're important enough to read on the podcast as well. So uh, let's go ahead and read this one, like I said, over at doomandbloom.net. This one's entitled, Burn Injuries on and Off the Grid. Whether caused by a raging wildfire or due to an accident while preparing food, burns are a major challenge both on and off the grid. Injuries from burns that require medical help top 1 million each year in the United States, with thousands of deaths reported. These numbers are alarming given that fact that in modern times few are Few of us are exposed to fires as often or directly as our ancestors were. Despite this, only a small percentage of families have formulated and practiced an escape plan for their own homestead. There are different types of burns. The American Burn Association statistics show their relative frequencies. 44% 44 of burns are from flames. 33% scalds caused by exposure to hot fluids. 50% of burns in children, 9% contact with the heat source, 4% electrical burns, 3% chemical burns, and 7% miscellaneous causes. Of course, anyone who sustains a serious burn should be transported immediately to a hospital, preferably one with a dedicated burn unit. After a disaster, however, these facilities may be inaccessible or overwhelmed by a large number of casualties. Therefore, it is possible that the average citizen may be required to provide burn care in disaster settings. Off the grid, long term, the risks are even greater. Without power, we will be cooking over fires more frequently. The potential for significant burn injuries will rise, especially if small children get too close. It's important for the medic to have a working knowledge of burns and their treatments. And I'm going to say there's a lot of... uh, pictures and diagrams and actually there's also uh, links here that you're going to want to go check out if uh, this is something if medical preparedness 
is uh, one of the things that you're really interested in, I definitely uh, would encourage you to go check out this article. The percentage of body surface area is often used to determine the severity of injury. A system known as the rule of nines is thought to give a rough estimate of the risk involved. Any burn covering more than the size of, say, your palm is serious enough to be medically evaluated. In survival settings, the general health, not to mention work efficiency, of a group member already under stress may be impacted. Note. Normally, the palm area measure is used only for burns that are more than superficial, but I believe that all burns the size or greater should be brought to the attention of the medic. Off or on the grid, burns are best categorized by degrees, a measure related to the depth of penetration. The deeper the burn damage, the graver the consequences for the victim. First degree burns. First degree burns affect the epidermis, the topmost layer of the skin. A typical example would be a sunburn. These burns appear red, warm, and dry and are painful to the touch. Mild swelling may occur. Dry, dead skin will cause itching but peels off after a period of time. No scarring is expected. Although most first-degree burns are minor, extensive ones must be watched closely. They can cause dehydration and even enough heat loss to cause hypothermia. Treating a first-degree burn. Treatments for a first-degree burn include cool water soaks for 5 to 10 minutes. May make the mistake of running, I'm sorry, many make the mistake of running cold water over the burned area for only a few seconds. Avoid ice, which traumatizes already damaged skin by decreasing circulation to it. Pain relievers like ibuprofen or Advil or acetaminophen like Tylenol, after a day or so, the pain will subside. Anesthetic ointments and burn gels containing aloe vera and histamines for itching. Expect complete healing in a week or so. Second degree burns. A second degree burn, sometimes called a partial thickness burn, affects the deep layer of the skin, the dermis. You will see areas that are painful, swollen, and area and appear most rather than dry. I'm sorry, appear moist rather than dry. The area will have a tendency to weep clear or whitish fluid. These injuries often have a number of blisters of various sizes. And I'm telling you, there's some pictures here, man, that you, uh, I don't know, depending on how you are, you might or might not want to see. Treating a second degree burn. Treatments for a second degree burn should be quick and intensive. The faster treatment is begun, the faster the recovery. So consider running cool water on the burn for 15 minutes or longer. Quick removal of rings, bracelets, and necklaces due to rapid swelling that occurs. Bandaging the wound with non-stick dressings like telfa pads. Avoid the use of cotton balls as dressings due to the sloughing off of fibers that can increase the likelihood of infection. Using specialized burn dressings like Xeriform, similar dressings can be improvised using gauze and petroleum jelly. Giving pain medicines are needed or as needed, applying antibiotic cream to blisters to prevent infection. You know, I've never heard of those uh, Telfa pads before. That might be something I need to look into and uh, see if, uh, where we could find those. Uh, blisters may be numerous, but should be broken only if very large, or it is clear that they would break during normal activity or in bed. The popping of blisters may increase the risk of infection. If you feel it's necessary, puncture with a sterilized needle at the base and leave the skin covering the raw area. 
Keeping the area protected from infectious organisms is important. Dressings should be changed at least daily. Most second degree burns heal in two to three weeks without thick scars, but may leave the skin darker than its original color. Third degree burns. A severe type of burn injury, third degree burns damage the full thickness of the skin and often deeper structures like the nerves and blood vessels below the skin. Once the damage goes through the skin, you have lost your body's armor, causing the rapid loss of fluids and ensuing dehydration. Loss of body heat is also a major issue. Third degree burns can vary in appearance based upon the type of burn incurred. They may appear white and waxy, charred brown or black. The area may feel stiff or leathery. Treating a third degree burn. Start by following the steps for a second degree burn. Long-term care is much more complex, however. The skin lost in an injury is normally replaced by new skin cells produced by the dermis. The dermis, however, has been destroyed in a third degree burn, so skin can only grow from the edges of the wound. This not only takes more time than the patient has, but also results in thick scarring. Sometimes skin edges have dead tissue, which must be cut away so living tissue behind it can grow. This sometimes painful process is known as debridement. In normal times, gaps left by extensive burns are treated by skin grafting. A skin graft is skin taken from an uninjured area and placed on the site of the burn. Skin taken from the injured person is less likely to be rejected than if taken from another individual. Of course, the technology needed for skin grafting won't be accessible of off the grid. The best that might be done in a remote setting would be covering the area where skin no longer exists with products like honey or aloe vera gel. A non-stick covering is then applied for protection. Celox hemostatic gauze, when wet, makes for a serviceable burn bandage. Dressings, dressing major burns, however, can compromise blood flow as swelling occurs. As such, these wounds should be wrapped tightly, if at all. Vigilance is needed to keep the wounds clean so as to prevent infection. Expect these wounds to require a very long time to heal. Often, a contracture will develop as a result of scarring. This is a condition where deformity or loss of movement occurs in joints due to the stiffening of muscles and other tissue. The result, at the very least, is loss of range of motion. Fourth degree burns. Once considered just a severe case of third degree burn, the damage extends down through subcutaneous fat to muscle and bone. The tissue appears dark, dry, and crispy. Third and fourth degree burns are often described as painless as the nerve endings have been destroyed. These burns, however, often have second degree and first degree components at their peripheries, which can be very painful. Treatment for fourth degree burns. Even in the most advanced settings, treating fourth degree burns is complex and may even involve amputation of an affected limb. Without a modern burn unit, the survival rate for third and fourth degree burns covering any significant portion of the body will be very low. This is due not only to destruction of tissue, the inability to replace fluids rapidly in these patients, and the high frequency of infection will be factors as well. Common mistakes when treating burns. Failing to run cool water on the burn for the time recommended. Using ice on burnt skin. Ignoring airway burns. With smoke inhalation, airways may swell rapidly and cause breathing difficulties. 
Signs include severe coughing, hoarseness, black specked sputum, and facial burns. Popping blisters unnecessarily. Intervene only when they are very large or interfere with function. Assuming a burn is less of an issue than it is. Even a first-degree burn, like an extensive sunburn, can be dangerous if steps aren't taken to avoid further exposure and keep up the level of hydration. Using lard or butter as a home remedy. These substances can trap heat in and cause a delay in healing. Other home remedies like aloe vera are more preferable. Burn prevention. Burn care in an off-grid setting is difficult, so it makes sense to do everything possible to prevent these kinds of injuries. As your people may be performing activities of daily survival to which they are not accustomed, perhaps the most important advice is to be certain that they are wearing appropriate personal protection like gloves, masks, goggles, and footwear. Any burn injury prevented is one less headache and perhaps heartache for the medic. Other considerations. Never allow children to be unsupervised near a campfire or wherever food is being cooked or water boiled. Don't let kids play with matches or lighters. Apply sunscreen 15 minutes before going out in the sun and reapply frequently. Avoid cooking if you are impaired by exhaustion or alcohol or drugs. Avoid smoking inside your shelter or anywhere there are flammable materials or maybe not smoke at all. Keep firewood and other flammable away, flammables away from buildings. If you have power, be wary of space heaters. Leave a good space between them and anything combustible. Avoid using frayed electrical cords. Learn how to recognize gas leaks. Have and know how to use fire extinguishers. Have functioning smoke alarms. Last but not least, have a plan of action for a fire at your homestead. And practice drills so the family members will know exactly what to do. This includes a member of communication a method of communication, and a place to meet in the event that you are separated from each other. The risk of for burn injury exists even in the best of times. Off the grid, they represent a major challenge to the caregiver. The ability to recognize and treat different degrees of burns will be an important skill for the medic in tough times. In future articles, we'll review electrical, chemical, and scalds, and other burns as well as ways to recognize and treat them effectively. We'll also discuss some natural remedies that will work to help speed recovery from burn injuries. All right, great article there. I think that's one that you're going to want to print off. I always say that with uh, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's articles. They do have at the very bottom of their articles, uh, there's a green button that says print friendly. And so that you can click on that and it'll give you a print friendly, uh, uh, I guess, page that you can print off and put in uh, a survival binder if you're, if you're, creating one of those or just you know putting it away somewhere filing it as like a an e-document or something along those lines um when i was reading this article i was thinking about uh, a childhood uh you know incident that we had at my dad's place uh man i was really really young but my brother um uh, he burned his arm very very badly and um i guess we we had a uh we had a couple of burn um, I mean, we were, it was pretty much off grid type stuff. I mean, we had electricity, but I mean, it was really, you didn't have your normal utilities and stuff like that. And so, uh, we would burn our trash and, uh, we would take the trash that we couldn't burn home with us. And, and of course, you know, put it in the trash can and stuff like that. But the, the stuff that we could burn, we would burn. And, uh, you know, we were all kids and we we're young and stupid. And we had a couple of gas tanks that we, uh, I think we might've shot with BB guns. And my brother at one point was 
um, you know, was wanting to, I guess he was playing, playing with fire. And like I said, he was really young. He might have been like first grade, kindergarten, first grade. And he poured some gasoline into one of the burn uh, barrels. And uh, at, in, th- in this situation, we it was like sp- summertime. So uh, we were up there just, you know, uh, my brother and I had some cousins up there. And my mom and my dad was coming up on the weekends. And uh, so my brother... Uh, put this gas in in the the burn uh, barrel and uh, not realizing that there was still a, some coals and fire and stuff at the very bottom and when he did um, I guess the the gas ran down his uh, his arm and also went into the burn barrel and then it just kind of flamed up and uh, it just you know caught his arm on fire and so uh, he was he was really young but he I guess he had 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 the and you know come to think of it. Um, I don't remember having these, you know, the, you know, where the firemen would come to your classroom and they would talk to you about fire and stop, drop and roll. They'd give you that little sticker and you'd put, you know, put that in your, um, you know, in your window and things like that. I don't don't know. I guess they don't do that anymore. Uh, but, um, or at least they don't do it in, in the schools out here in the school district. I mean, we have a volunteer fire department where I'm at, so uh, maybe that's what what uh, you know why they're not doing it. But anyway, uh, he uh, had gone through that you know that little class or whatever the firemen had come, so he knew enough to stop and and drop and roll, and so he did that. But he did sustain second degree and on the verge of third degree burns. And so I remember it was very painful. We we made mistakes, exactly what Dr. Bones is talking about here, where uh, we put ice, uh, you know, and instead of running just cool water, we put ice and we, uh, you know, we we did, you know, those kinds of things. I mean, dad, you know, mom was talking with dad on the phone. And I think we, the next day we left to come home uh, because that happened towards, you know, the evening time. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, it was a pretty, pretty crazy time. And looking at his skin, I mean, he had skin that was uh, burnt and kind of like falling off and it was just nasty. He still, um, you know, I'm going to have to, <laughs> we talked about it not too long ago, but I think he still has some scars from it. I mean, and he's in his forties. So, uh, I mean, it was, uh, it was a pretty severe thing, uh, when that happened. And so you can imagine what, uh, you know, what would happen if you didn't have modern day medicine, because we were able to come home and go straight to the doctor and, you know, they had, you know, gels and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, that's one of the things you need to be thinking about, I, you know, the Tefla pads that he was talking about here in this article, that might be something to look at. And then also, you know, if you don't have aloe vera plants, Aloe vera plants, um, you know, somebody gave somebody gave us some a while back, and those suckers just, I mean, if you, they grow pups on them all over the place, and so you can just start replanting them, and so I've replanted uh, aloe vera plants, and, and I have so many of them. I'm actually, next time we go up to the country, I want to take some to, to go and plant up there so they, they can just kind of multiply up there, and we would have that available up there i i was looking to see you know what kind of animals do eat it i think rabbits do eat aloe vera uh and we we have a lot of rabbits up there and uh so i don't know how they'll survive or if they will but uh, i want to plant some because i just have so many but if you don't have aloe vera plants uh, you know and you can grow them that might be something you might want to look into because um, you know that is a, a natural remedy that you would have available. Not only that, I mean, aloe vera is used for so many different things as well. 
But I think this is a great article. Go check this out over at doomandbloom.net. And uh, again, it's burn injuries on and off the grid. There's pictures here that will, if you have a weak stomach, might gross you out. And there's links here in this article that you'll want to check out. All right. So a good article over there. Our next article comes to us from askaprepper.com. And uh, this article is entitled, Seven Super Cheap Foods to Stockpile That People Usually Throw Away. And so anytime an article like that is written, it's going to get people's attention. There's a lot of comments on this article. And so uh, when, you, when you have a lot of comments, there's always uh, more information there. Sometimes, you know, people are just going off. But uh, there's usually some good information that you can get there. And so I'm going to encourage you to come check this one out as well. But uh, let's go ahead and read this one. Again, it's called Seven Super Cheap Foods to Stockpile That People Usually Throw Away. If your great-grandmother saw half the things you just throw away, I'm sure she'd have some stern words for you. These days, food comes prepackaged, prepared, trimmed, peeled, and neat. While boneless chicken may be convenient for some, practically speaking, it's robbed you of some of the most nutritious parts of the bird and charged you more for the privilege. Still, what do you do with all the extras? How do you turn the parts of food that people normally throw away into nutritious meals? Someday we may not be living in such a land of plenty. Practicing using up every last bit today could save your life tomorrow. Bones. I can't help but laugh when I see frugal foods that our grandparents knew coming back at the style like this generation invented them. Bone broth is my favorite example. It's the ultimate cheap food and a great way to get the last bit of nutrition out of an animal. These days, it's marketed as an artisanal food and marked up to as much as, do as a dollar an ounce. W what is it really? Bones. The same bones you scraped off your plate and trashed at the end of your meal. Bone broth is extremely easy to make at home and completely free if you do it right. Simply save the bones from your meats throughout the year in freezer bags until you have enough for a slow-simmered batch of nutritious bone broth. You'd be surprised at how many bones the average family throws away in a year. If you plan ahead, bone broth can be canned for long-term preservation. Each year, my family cans around 200 quarts, all made from the leavings off our plate. If we bought the artisanal version... That stockpile would cost us nearly $3,000. Can you believe it? All made from bones we would otherwise throw away. Even after you've made bone broth, you're still not done getting every little bit of nutrition out of bones. It's easy enough to process bones into homemade bone meal to nurture your garden. Straight bone meal is high in phosphorus, a nutrient that's hard to come by from other sources, including compost. It can sell for as much as $10 per pound in high-end garden stores, or you can make it yourself for free. Organ meats. You'd be hard-pressed to find someone that knows how to make good use of organ meats these days. While beef sells for high prices, the most nutritious parts such as the liver, heart, and kidneys sell for as little as $1 per pound. Some butchers will even just give them away because they can't find customers who want them. Meanwhile, high-end restaurants are serving pâté to wealthy customers who don't know a cheap thing when they see it. It's delicious, but that doesn't mean it needs to be expensive. If you're squeamish about the texture, you can extract the nutrition from organ meats into organ meat stock to use in your everyday cooking. 
Oregon meat stock adds an extra layer of richness to foods that's hard to match any other way, and it can be canned for long-term preservation in the same way as bone broth. Bacon grease. Chances are your great-grandmother kept an old can or jar next to collect all the extra bacon grease after breakfast. That same grease was scooped out to make the perfect home fries cut into biscuit dough or was added to a hot cast iron pan for a truly authentic southern cornbread. The best part about bacon grease, besides the fact that it tastes like bacon, is that it keeps almost forever. That can of bacon drippings just sat there on the stove, ready to use, no refrigeration needed. Stale bread. Even in times of hunger, there was stale bread. Historically, bread was baked in batches to conserve fuel and oven time. By the end of the week, there likely wasn't any fresh bread left. That doesn't mean the stale bread was thrown out. Every bread-eating culture has traditional recipes for dealing with stale bread and turning it into something extraordinary. What we call French toast, the French call pan perdu or forgotten bread. Though you'll find it at the brunch at the brunch menu at fancy restaurants, it's just a cheap way to use up stale bread. Croutons are n- nothing more than stale bread that has been toasted and cut into cubes. Bread crumbs were a traditional way to work stale bread into meals, bulking up sausages and meatloaves at the same time. While today you can buy prepackaged bread crumbs, they're often not much cheaper than the meat they're replacing. Chicken fat. These days, you can buy a fancy tub of rendered duck fat for close to the price of a whole chicken. Yet, at the same time, chicken fat is trimmed and thrown away. Chicken fat from healthy, free-ranging, bug-eating backyard chickens is just as tasty as high-priced duck fat and was a traditional staple in home kitchens. If you've ever processed your own backyard chickens, you know that chicken fat is soft and yellow, full of natural vitamin A and omega fatty acids. Exactly like high-priced duck fat, but often overlooked. Ask the butcher at your local grocery store to save you off a tub of chicken fat to render at home. Odds are, he'll let you have it for free and will be glad to be rid of it. Sour or expired milk. We all know that milk doesn't really go bad on its expiration date. It's good for at least another week, but even still, when it does sour, it's still perfectly good for cooking. Some recipes even call for soured milk and have you substitute fresh milk with a little vinegar added to sour it. Sour milk creates a wonderful texture and complex flavors in home-baked bread, and it adds extra lift to pancakes. At some point, most people have had a gallon of milk go just a bit sour. While a bit sour is good for baking, truly spoiled milk can taste horrible. Once milk starts to get a bit sour, use it either use it immediately in baking or take the jug and put it in the freezer. Frozen milk isn't the best for straight drinking, but this isn't drinking milk. It's already soured milk that you're saving for baking. Any textured changes in the freezer are irrelevant. Our local grocery store has a bin in the back of their walk-in refrigerator where they keep expired milk for employees to take home. About once a month, I ask if I can have some to take home. It all expired the day before, which means they can't sell it, but it's got plenty of good shelf life left. Sometimes I can get 8 or 10 gallons. I keep one for fresh use and make cheese out of the rest. I now have several pounds of cheese that I can wax and store in my basement for long-term preservation at no cost to me. 
If I don't get to the milk in time to make cheese, it's still fine to pop it into the freezer and save for baking later on. Fruits and Vegetable Peels Just about every type of fruit or vegetable peel is good for something. Apple peels and cords can be cooked down into tasty apple jelly. No pectin or added sugar required. Literally just take the peels and cores, normally thrown away, and add them to a pot with some water instead. Simmer for a few hours and then strain and cook the liquid a bit further until it gels. It can be canned for long-term preservation. And if you listen to yesterday's episode, episode 219, we talked about making apple cider vinegar out of apples, uh, cores, and apple peels. Citrus peels can be candied to add to bread or marmalade or zested and used for flavoring. Limoncello, an expensive Italian liquor, is nothing more than lemon zest soaked in vodka with a bit of sugar added. Since you'd normally throw away the peel, zest your lemons or another citrus into a jar of vodka before you use them. You can add them in one one at a time as you use your citrus and it'll develop more flavor with each zest added. It takes the zest of about five lemons plus about one fourth cup of sugar to make a pint of lemon cello. Just about any type of fruit peel can be made into vinegar by adding a bit of water and allowing it to ferment. It's traditionally done with apple peels to make inexpensive apple cider vinegar. However, any peel from a sugary fruit like a pear, mango, or pineapple can be submerged in water and fermented into homemade vinegar. Potato peels can be cooked in a little water to make potato water, which when substituted for regular water in baked goods, gives them a soft and pleasing texture. Rich potato bread that you buy in the store actually isn't made with whole potatoes, just potato water in place of tap water. Most vegetable peels can be saved in the freezer and added to stocks and bone broths. This is especially true of onion peels, which are rich in vitamin C and add great flavor and color to stocks. All right, great article there, a lot of great information and uh, things that maybe people don't nowadays don't really know and maybe nowadays don't really pay a lot of attention to. Uh, you know, the, the chicken fat, I don't know if there's anybody who really renders that, um, you know, um, when I when I tend to... Uh, you know, cut chicken up and stuff like that. I normally don't. I throw it away, you know. But, uh, you know, if you're in a situation where you really, uh, you needed to make use of everything, that might be something good information to know. And like I said, in the comments, people were asking questions like, can someone give me, uh, you know, this or an idea for how to use this or whatever. And so uh, they were giving some information there. But then you can always bounce off of these articles and go to Google and start searching and find tons of great information out there on on how to uh, make your food go further and how to use some of these um, some of these things that people in the Great Depression and be even way way before that you know they used every part of the animal and uh, you know they they got uh, their use out of everything including bones and and even after the bone broth was made like uh, this article said is is uh, you know crushing up the bones and using that in your garden and there's just so much there that we have lost in our society because we are just so fast-paced and everything is so quick and uh, so many of these things that are you know throughout history that people use and and people relied on are a loss to you know generations because of uh, of the way that we live. But hopefully we can get some of these things back, like you know we read here in this article, and maybe this will pique your interest 
and you will go do some research and uh, maybe even buy some books and uh, find out some more information. Maybe you'll get um, so much information uh, in your research that you'll want to write an article and then, hey, if you don't have a place to put it up, let me know and uh, I'll be happy to do that for you on Ed That Matters and then put it up on Prepper website and then read it here on the podcast. So that was askaprepper.com and that article was seven super cheap foods to stockpile that people usually throw away. Like always, I will uh, link to these articles in the show notes and uh, or over on the, the website, theprepperwebsitepodcast.com, episode 220. And you can link to all of these articles and uh, you know go check those out, read the comments, because uh, there's always some value there in, in all of that. So, hey guys, uh, that's it for episode 220. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. Hey, if you get a chance, if you have not joined the email list, I'd welcome you to do that. Come over to the Prepper Website Podcast. Dot com and you can sign up for the email list there or even at Ed the Matters or uh, Prepper website. And uh, if the podcast is uh, not fulfilling all your preparedness needs, we have tons of articles over at Prepper website that you can come and uh, come just, man, there's just so much there. And so you just take your time and uh, we have special pages dedicated to alternative news and DIY and frugal living and uh, you know all that kind of stuff, even conspiracy theories if you want to go that route. And then we have, you know, we look at all the, the preparedness articles every single day that have been put out and we put the best ones up on Prepper website for you. And, uh, and so if you are looking for more preparedness information, this is the place to go. PrepperWebsite.com is the place to go. And so uh, if you'd like to connect with me, I'd love to connect with you. Always love to uh, uh, hear, get feedback from uh, listeners out there and just, you know, uh, get to know you a little bit better. You can do that over on the Facebook group and we have links to that on uh, the Prepper website podcast um, Dot com And then we also have it in the, in the show notes. So if you have iTunes or whatever, you can go straight over there. There's a link there uh, to go join the Facebook group or, uh, you know, connect with me on, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'd love to have you there. I just recently, uh, not too long ago, probably about two weeks ago, started a prepper website Instagram because I was doing, you know, just kind of bouncing off my own Instagram. And so I decided to kind of focus a little bit more on preparedness over or by using the, a prepper website, Instagram. And really that's, that's really where I'm spending most of my time. I'm not even going to my own Instagram anymore, but uh, you know, I'd love to connect with you over there as well. Uh, I like throwing up stuff and, and learning how to do different things. I've been trying to throw up little video clips and things like that. And uh, you know, there's some, some cool things. Even when I've done a review, I've done a couple of reviews, and so I've done some videos on Instagram, and then uh, I've been able to embed those into my articles over at Ed That Matters. So uh, just learning and playing around and enjoy that. But I'd love to connect with you on social media if you are on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And uh, so with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace. <laughs>